Last week we were in Jeremiah 5, and I'm going to give you a quick running overview of the part that we did, and then we'll go on. One of the assertions I'm making as we're doing this study is that Jeremiah is encoding truth and is trying to pass it on. So the way the Bible encodes truth, which is to say Jeremiah encodes truth, is different than the way the Greeks do. So you have to read this with the idea that he's talking about reality. And from that, you can derive principles of living and principles of action, just like you can with Greek philosophy. But it's a different way of encoding. So it starts off in five. Roam the streets of Jerusalem, search its squares, look about and take note. You will not find a man, there is none who acts justly, who seeks integrity, that I should pardon her. And we said last time that that should remind you of the negotiation that happens over Sodom and Gomorrah with Abraham, where God says, if I can find ten righteous men, I will spare the city. Well, by now, we are down to one. If I can find one, then I will spare the city. And of course, he doesn't because the city is destroyed. Then the next part, starting in verse 4, then I thought these are just poor folk. They act foolishly, for they do not know the way of the Lord, the rules of their God. So I will go to the wealthy and speak with them. So again, what he's saying here is, the city is corrupt. But most people in any society are not the upper class. So he's saying, well, surely, this is just ruffians on the street that are behaving that way. Surely if I go to the upper class, the priests, the Levites, the nobility... Surely those people who have been instructed in the word of God, they will know better and I will be able to find my one righteous man among them. That doesn't work either. But let's start now in verse 18. But even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not make an end of you. And when they ask, because of what? Did the Lord our God do all these things? You shall answer them. Because you forsook me and served alien gods in your own land, you will have to serve foreigners in a land not your own. First thing he's saying is, everybody out of the pool. You're going to get invaded, you're going to get sanded off, everybody's getting out of here because you have polluted my land. And in the future, people are going to ask, why did God do this to you? The answer is, in my land, you brought in alien gods. I don't allow alien gods in my land. Because you forsook me and served alien gods in your own land, you will have to serve foreigners in a land not your own. That is a mashal. A mashal is an oriental way of encoding wisdom. Typically two lines. What you have is a first half and a second half. The first half introduces the subject. The second half then intensifies it and brings out the lesson in the unit. They are intended to be thought about. They're not like a Greek unit of knowledge where everything is in the words. Remember I said earlier, in Hebrew it is not words that are true, it's objects that are true. So what this is intended to do is make you think about it. So let's look at it. Because you forsook me and served alien gods in your own land, that's part one, you forsook me, me, God, served alien gods in your land. Second half, You will serve 
foreigners, foreign God, foreigners, in a land not your own. See the parallelism there? Exile is therapeutic, which is to say, when you get to the point where God throws you out of the pool, he will throw you into some place that is designed to correct the reason you got thrown out. If you want to worship idols, where is he going to send you? Idol Central sends you to Babylon. It's sort of like when your two-year-old stomps and stomps and stomps and stomps and says, I want ice cream, I want ice cream, and you finally say, fine. You will eat ice cream until I tell you to stop. And at the end of that process, he doesn't want ice cream so much anymore. Exile is intended to be therapeutic. The place and the conditions of the exile are designed to correct the problem that got you sent into exile. For example, the current exile. The rabbis say that the reason for the current exile that began in 70 AD, or actually a little after 70 AD, but when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, was caused by baseless hatred. In other words, they couldn't get along with each other, and they just hated each other for no reason. So God says, fine, you want to do baseless hatred? We'll do baseless hatred for a while. And so he sends them to Eastern Europe and to Germany and to Spain and to all sorts of places where periodically, for no reason whatsoever, they are slaughtered. You want to do baseless hatred? Fine. We'll do baseless hatred for 2,000 years and see how you like it. All right, so I'm all the way down to verse 20. Proclaim this in the house of Jacob and announce it in Judah. Hear this, O foolish people, devoid of intelligence. They have eyes but can't see. They have ears but can't hear. Should you not revere me, says the Lord. This is to quote from either Psalm 115 or 139. And I'll read it from 115. 115 verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear noses but do not smell, they have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. So you have this description of a dumb block of wood that's carved in the shape of something. It can't do anything with its hands, it can't do anything with its eyes, it can't do anything with its ears. And what he's saying is those who put their trust in such things also develop those same characteristics. So Jeremiah, quoting from the psalm, is saying, proclaim this in the house of Jacob and announce it in Judah. Hear this, O foolish people, devoid of intelligence, that have eyes but can't see, that have ears but can't hear. So what he's saying is, you people have become just like the idols that you are worshiping, no brighter than a block of wood. What we would say is you're dumber than a box of rocks. And he's referring back to the psalm. So what he's saying is an idol is false. There are consequences to worshiping something that's false. And the consequences are you lose your discernment. You can no longer tell what's true and you can no longer tell what's false and you can no longer tell what's real. So if you in fact, worship God, study his word, which is the truth, and come to understand it, will you, in fact, be alive and like that? Of course. That's the whole point. Verse 22. Should you not revere me, says the Lord, 
should you not tremble before me, who set the sand as a boundary to the sea, as a limit for all time, not to be transgressed. Though its waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass it. Now we're talking about idols, which are things that are not true, which are things that have no power other than the power to dull the senses of those who worship them. And he's contrasting that with himself. And I am the one who is able to set the boundaries of the sea. Okay, remember in Job where he says, were you there when I set the foundations of the world? Tell me, explain this all, all to me. And he goes through this list of things. And what God is saying is, A, I am true, and B, the world I created is true. Remember, what's true and false in Hebrew? Objects. And so what he is saying is, this world that I have created for you to live in will provide you feedback. And if you start worshiping things that are not true and you start believing things that are not true, you are going to sooner or later run smack up against hard reality and you will get your nose bloody. So what he's saying here is, I'm the one that establishes reality. And what I'm telling you is the way you are going is fixing to get your nose bloody. In fact, I've got this army idling up north and they're on their way down. Part of our problem is reason and science are really, really good tools for some things. If you need to go to the moon, you want to use Greek, and you want to use mathematics, and you want to use reason. Otherwise, your rocket won't get off the ground. Wishing and hoping it isn't going to get your rocket off the ground, you've got to use science. The problem has become science has gotten good enough that lots and lots of people feel that they no longer need God. What God is saying here, as he is saying to the United States, because the world is coming apart right now, in case you're not paying attention. What he's saying is, okay, you can go that way for a little while, but you're about to run up against the edge of the sandbox and it's going to hurt. Same thing. My reality is true. All of this fluff that you believe is not true. And it has come to the point now where those two things are going to come together and what's going to prevail is true, not what you believe. As I said before, God is not who you think he is. God is who he says he is. And that's what reality is. If you live your life some other way, at some point you hit the edge of the sandbox and it gets painful. And what Jeremiah is trying to do is explain that to these people. 23. Yet this people has a wayward and defiant heart. They have turned aside and gone their way. They have not said to themselves, let us revere the Lord our God, who gives the rain, the early and the late rain, in season, who keeps for our benefit the weeks appointed for harvest. What he's saying is, let us not revere the Lord our God who does these things, which is to say, let us turn our backs on reality and go after the evil inclinations of our own hearts. What God is doing is bringing them back to what's real, and contrasting what they believe with what God says is real and true. 25. It is your iniquities that have diverted these things, your sins that have withheld the bounty from you. Remember we said back in, I think, chapter 4, that these people had spent all of the capital that the previous generations had accumulated, just like we are in the United States right now. We had 150, 200 years of a society that was 
nominally God-fearing. And those people built up a great civilization. You know, the Hoover Dam was built with guys with a high school education. They didn't have master's degrees. But they were God-fearing people and they worked hard. And so what's happening now is we've got all this fat and now we're consuming it. And that's what's happening now in the political scene. All of this stuff that has been accumulated, we are now cannibalizing. We're not putting anything back, we're simply consuming. That's what's happening to Israel. They had flocks and herds and military power and abundance in agriculture and so forth. And instead of continuing in the ways that their ancestors walked in, which allowed them to accumulate that wealth, what they are now doing is consuming it. So God is saying it is your iniquities that have diverted these things, your sins that have withheld the bounty from you. So as this stuff gradually gets less and less and they start fighting more and more over less and less, what God is saying is, hey, it's your iniquities, your behavior that has caused this to happen. Reality has turned off the bounty. And notice how I said that. I said reality has turned off the bounty, not God. He's simply saying, the way I have made my universe, this is the way it works. You stop doing it that way, and you starve to death. 26. For among my people are found wicked men who lurk like fowlers lying in wait. They set up a trap to catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so their houses are full of guile. That is why they have grown so wealthy. In other words, the wealthy are getting that way by fraud and theft and violence. God doesn't have any problem with being rich. God has a problem with fraud and theft and violence. And so what he's talking here is the wealthy have become fraudulent and violent. 28. They have become fat and sleek. They pass beyond the bounds of wickedness and they prosper. They will not judge the case of the orphan, nor give a hearing to the plea of the needy. Shall I not punish such deeds, says the Lord? Shall I not bring retribution on a nation such as this? The poster children for justice in the Bible are the fatherless, the foreigner, and the poor. In economic terms, God gives instructions specifically about those three classes of people. He says, first off, you won't oppress them because they can't defend themselves. And second, you will make them the objects of charity. Some of the excess that I'm giving you guys goes to them. And if you don't do that, they're going to cry out to me, and I'm going to hear, and I'm going to come down and check it out. And what he's saying here is he has come down and check it out, and they're not doing it. So 29, shall I not punish such deeds, says the Lord? Shall I not bring retribution on a nation such as this? An appalling, horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule accordingly, and my people like it so. But what will you do at the end of it? Right, now everybody understand what that just said? He's saying, the prophets prophesy falsely. The priests listen to those false prophecies and make their rulings according to false prophecies. And the people prefer it that way. And everybody thinks, Hey, as long as the party keeps going until I die, we're okay. The people do not want to listen to Jeremiah. In fact, Jeremiah is going to get thrown in jail. And it is not that the people have been fooled. It's not that they've been duped. 
It is they have started to worship idols and they have become like those idols, which is to say dumb as a block of wood. On to chapter six. Flee for refuge, O people of Benjamin. Out of the midst of Jerusalem, blow the horn in Tekoa. Set up a signal in Beth Hacharim. For evil is appearing from the north, a great disaster. Now, Benjamin is north of Jerusalem. So what he's saying is this Babylonian army is coming down. So you people up there better start moving south. Ain't going to do any good, but start moving south. And I don't know whether this is God speaking or the pseudo voice of the nation. In other words, the leaders are saying, "Uh uh-oh, come on, you guys from Benjamin, come on down. And let's all retreat into our fortresses, which is what they do. Two, fair Zion, the lovely and delicate, I will destroy. Against her come shepherds with their flocks. They pitch tents all around her. Each grazes the sheep under his care. Prepare for battle against her. Up, we will attack at noon. Alas for us, for day is declining. The shadows of evening grow long. Up, let us attack by night and wreck her fortresses. So these shepherds that are coming with their flocks, I will suggest to you, are armies. And what they're saying is, attack during the day. Oh, it's getting dark. Well, fine, we'll just attack during the night. Nothing is going to stop us. Six, for thus says the Lord of hosts, hew down her trees and raise a siege mound against Jerusalem. You all remember from the Torah. What does it say about cutting down trees during warfare? You're allowed to cut down pine trees and oak trees and you know, cedar trees and so forth. Don't cut down the fruit trees. And so again, this is referring back. He's saying, as thus says the Lord of hosts to the Babylonian army, cut down her trees, Jerusalem's trees, and raise a siege mound against Jerusalem. She is the city destined for punishment. Only fraud is found in her midst. This whole thing that's led up to this, cataloging the fraud, deceit, violence, and cheating of Jerusalem, God has come to the point where he says, she is a city destined for punishment. Only fraud is found in her midst. I can't find my honest man. Seven. As a well flows with water, so she flows with wickedness. Lawlessness and rapine are heard in her. Before me constantly are sickness and wounds. Accept rebuke, O Jerusalem, lest I come to loathe you, lest I make you a desolation, an uninhabited land. So even at this point, when the armies of Babylon are coming down, God, through the prophet, is still calling for repentance. Verse 9. Thus said the Lord of hosts, Let them glean over and over as a vine, the remnant of Israel. Pass your hand again like a vintager over its branches. What he's saying is they are going to come through you like a plague of locusts and there's going to be nothing green left. Just go over and over and over. Don't leave anything. To whom shall I speak? Give warning that they may hear. Their ears are blocked and they cannot listen. See, the word of the Lord has become for them an object of scorn. They will have none of it. But I am filled with the wrath of the Lord. I cannot hold it in. So what Jeremiah is saying is, won't anybody listen to me? And the answer is no. Because as I said, they're dumb as a box of rocks. They have worshipped idols so that their ears are stopped up and they cannot hear the word of the Lord. 
And in fact, the word of the Lord has become an object of scorn and derision to them. Verse 11 and a half. Pour it on the infant on the streets, and on the company of youths gathered together. Yes, men and women alike shall be captured, elders and those of advanced years. Their houses shall pass to others, fields and wives as well. For I'll stretch out my arm against the inhabitants of the country, declares the Lord. So the destruction is going to be total. And it was. 13. For from the smallest to the greatest, they are all greedy for gain. Priest and prophet alike, they all act falsely. They offer healing offhand for the wounds of my people, saying, All is well, all is well, when nothing is well. They have acted shamefully. They have done abhorrent things, yet they do not feel shame. And they cannot be made to blush. Assuredly, they shall fall among the falling. They shall stumble at the time when I punish them, declares the Lord. Remember, we ended the last chapter with the prophets prophesy falsely, the priests rule accordingly, the people like it that way. So now we're down here in verse 13. Everyone is greedy for gain. So the reason that people like the priests ruling according to false prophecy is it because it allows them to persist in their fraud, in their theft, and in their violence. And furthermore, the priests are saying, everything is well, all is well, everything is okay. In other words, nothing to worry about. And what God is saying is, no, reality is about to come crashing down on you in the form of the Babylonian army, and you are going to discover that all of these lies that you have put your faith in will not save you. Verse 16, thus said the Lord, stand by the roads and consider, inquire about ancient paths. Which is the road to happiness? Travel it and find tranquility for yourselves. But they said, we will not. And again, this stand at the roads and consider, inquire about the ancient paths, that's the masthead for this congregation. And the idea here is God has shown us the truth. He has shown us the path to tranquility, happiness, prosperity. All you have to do is turn to it and walk in it. That path is still there today. It is still available today. And just like Judah, here, we have turned our feet from that path and we have refused to walk in it. And we have said, we will not. Verse 18. Hear well, O nations, and know, O community, what is in store for them. Hear, O earth, I am going to bring disaster upon this people, the outcome of their own schemes, for they would not hearken to my words, they rejected my instruction. Now notice again how he says this. This is the outcome of their own schemes. Remember a couple chapters ago, he said, my people have become clever at doing evil. That ought to be tattooed on somebody's face. I mean, my people have become clever at doing evil. The tattoos are in vogue right now. I mean, that, that would be a good one. Verse 20. What need have I of frankincense that comes from Sheba, or fragrant cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, and your sacrifices are not pleasing to me. Now notice again what he's saying here. Where is the frankincense coming from? Sheba. The frankincense and the cane that we're using is imported. We've gone to the ends of the earth to buy you the very best stuff, God. And this is religious trappings 
gone astray. They are substituting wealth for obedience. They are substituting flash and dash, if you will, for moral substance. Remember what Yeshua said to the Pharisees, you're like whitewashed sepulchers. You look really good on the outside. Somebody's spray painted you and you look really good, but inside you're nothing but rot. And it's saying the same thing here. Same idea. 21. Assuredly, thus said the Lord, I shall put before these people stumbling blocks, over which they shall stumble. Fathers and children alike, neighbor and friend shall perish. Thus said the Lord, See, a people comes from the Northland. A great nation is roused from the remotest parts of the earth. They grasp the bow and the javelin. They are cruel. They show no mercy. The sound of them is like the roaring sea. They ride upon horses, accoutred like men for battle, against you, O fair Zion. We have heard the report of them. Our hands fail. Pain seizes us. Agony like a woman in childbirth. Do not go out into the country do not walk on the roads, for the sword of the enemy is there, terror on every side. What it's saying is that they have pulled into the fortified cities, and they are living there in terror, and they cannot go out for fear of the enemy. 26. My poor people, put on sackcloth and strew dust on yourselves. Mourn as for an only child. Wail bitterly, for suddenly the destroyer is coming upon us. I have made you an assayer of my people, a refiner. You are to note and assay their ways. Everybody knows what an assayer is? An assayer is somebody who takes ore and determines what the metal content is. So this I have made you an assayer of my people. I is God. You could be one of two things. It could be Jeremiah. It could also be Babylon. In other words, I am going to pass my people through the fire of Babylon. I can see it either way, and I don't know which way it is, but I, I can see it either way. So, 27. I have made you an assayer of my people, a refiner. You are to note and assay their ways. They are copper and iron. They are all stubbornly defiant. They deal basely. All of them act corruptly. By the way, copper and iron are base metals as opposed to noble metals. Everybody understand base metals and noble metals? Noble metal is gold, silver, platinum, what we would call precious metals today. Base metals are things that you make roads and bridges out of. You know, there's lots and lots of it, and so it's considered common or base. 28, they are copper and iron. They are all stubbornly defiant. They deal basely. All of them act corruptly. The bellows puff. The lead is consumed by fire. Yet the smelter smelts to no purpose. The dross is not separated out. They are called rejected silver, for the Lord has rejected them. They put them in the fire. The lead is driven off. Dross is a scum that floats to the top of metal when you refine it. And so when you take the lead out and the dross off, you should then have silver, if you have silver ore. And what God is saying is, nope. No silver there. In other words, the finding process has run to its end, and there's nothing there. There's no silver. What God and Jeremiah are both saying is, this doesn't have to be. In fact, let's go to Lamentations. Lamentation is an alphabetical poem. In other words, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, so forth, okay? And it says, Alas, lonely sits the city, 
once great with people, she that was great among the nations has become like a widow. The princess among states has become a thrall. The word last there is Ica in Hebrew. What it means is, how could this have happened? It's a heartbroken lament. How could this possibly have happened? Because she was once great with people. She was once great among the nations. She was once the princess among states. And now she's completely ruined. How could this happen? And the purpose of Jeremiah is to record how to discern truth and how to understand wisdom so that the people who are in exile can read it and when they come back they can know how to prosper again. And one of the things we'll read I think is in Kings or Chronicles. He writes a letter to the exiles in Babylon because they've got people there that are still saying it's all going to be okay. We're going home. And he writes them a letter and he says, no, you're not. Settle down. Seek the good of Babylon because in their prosperity you will prosper. Build businesses. Take wives. Raise children. You're going to be there. Do not rebel. As grim as Jeremiah is, especially when you bounce it against what is happening in the United States, it's important to understand that the book is written for people in exile to teach them what they need to do to A, prosper while they're in exile, and then B, to come out of exile and return to their land, and when they do return to the land, how to behave there so they don't get thrown out again. It is literally a book of political philosophy. People don't understand that because there's so much of this, thus says the Lord, and in modern Western thinking, when it says, thus says the Lord, it takes it out of the realm of reason. This becomes now revelation. And it is not anything that can be reasoned about. It simply is. You know, like a stone in the middle of the stream. It simply is. That's not what's going on. What he's telling us is how to understand what reality is, how to understand what truth is, and how to behave based on that knowledge so that you prosper and flourish as opposed to continually bumping your nose on the walls of the sandbox when you try and go off in your own direction. That's what the book is. And yeah, it, it's grim, and it's especially grim, as I say, sitting here in 21st century United States because we can see all of this stuff going down now, and we see what the result of that is going to be, and that's grim. But understand, you don't have to make idols of wood and stone. You do not have to become like one of them with eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear. The things that happened to Israel happened because Israel violated truth and reality. So the things that happened to Israel were going to happen regardless of whether anybody wrote it down. Reality was going to come crashing down on that country no matter what. What Jeremiah did is he wrote it down and he explained it so that future generations can avoid it, perhaps. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com slash purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.